looking back, starts once angels start to show up, particularly one angel, Gabriel. What do we think of angels? Apparently, Hebrews tells us, we might entertain them unawares. We should show hospitality to strangers, that book says. They might be angels. What do angels think of us? Well, who can know? Gabriel, unlike an unidentified stranger, was apparently hard to miss. He was an angel. The angel Gabriel shows up in a religious setting in a temple, then shows up to a young woman engaged to be married, and then, I think it's Gabriel, but not really named as such, to Joseph, this young woman's fiance, shows up in kind of a church, shows up again in a nondescript room, just a single angel speaking to individuals. But by the peak of the story, you know, when we gather for Christmas Eve, there's gonna be a heavenly host, a choir, an angelic choir singing, glory to God. I sometimes like to think that Gabriel is part of the choir. It's just singing to a bunch of shepherds in a field. And everyone to whom the angels appear is freaked out. Zechariah, we're told, is terrified. Mary, we're told, greatly troubled. And the shepherds in the King James Version or the words of Linus are sore afraid. So do you find the story astonishing anymore? Or is it just another line of sentimental expressions that do feel good, skating on a frozen pond, snowman with a carrot nose, the baby in a manger? The story should remain and become again and again astonishing to us. I say this not as accusation, not as what's wrong with you. You should be astonished. I say it as invitation. And I hope in the spirit of God to ask, do you hear what I hear? Even small encounters of wonder can stir joy in us. It's why we so love being around kids at Christmas time. We have our stories to tell. I can tell you what I hope. Well, of course I can. I'm at Park Royal, not far from here, years ago with our younger son, Matthew. Matthew's 23 years old now, and he's still imaginative, open to wonder. But this is, well, in this telling, he's five or six years old, we're at Park Royal, and it's just the two of us, Jen and Aiden are not there with us, so it's not the time to visit Santa. We're just in the mall, and it's busy. Malls used to be busy. And Matt has to go to the bathroom, the mall is busy and the bathroom is busy. There's a lineup. This is a Christmas urinal story. 
Park Royal, the bathroom, and he's at the age where he wants to be independent, but he wants to know that I'm nearby. So I line up with him in that lineup of men waiting for a urinal. You don't tend to look around in that situation. You just kind of next, next. So that's what Matt's doing, and I've taken it upon myself to see when there'll be an open spot. And then there is, and I say, okay, go ahead, and I stand back a little bit, and he goes, and I stay close, but not too close, and as he gets up to the urinal there, I'm just, you know, looking at him. Nobody else, just looking at him. And I can, he's, I can hear him, actually, talking. He starts saying, <sighs> and all these things, bathroom's full of people. And I'm kind of communicating with my eyes, what? And he signals to me thinking, is something wrong? Is, you know, what's going on? And he signals to me that he wants me to look down the line of urinals. <laughs> Damn, he's doing this. Damn. So I'm reluctant, but he insists, head tilting insistently. So I look and I'm trying to be nonchalant. And here's what I see, a man, a man, a man, Santa. <laughs> Santa Claus. The magic of Christmas. <laughs> Do you know the Gabriel story? First time Gabriel appears, as we said, is to a priest, a minister, a pastor, and that priest's name is Zechariah, and we're told that he and his wife Elizabeth are getting on in years, but they're righteous. I always think God tells us this in scripture. These people are righteous. We care about that. I don't know that God does as much. Because thinking of all the unrighteous people he uses, there doesn't seem to be a line there. But we seem to be like, they better be righteous. So they're righteous. But they've been praying for years for a child, and they've been unable to have a child, and now they're past the air, the age of childbearing. And they've stopped praying. And on this day, Zechariah is chosen for a priestly duty to go into the holier place in the temple and to light the incense representing the prayers of the people being lifted up to God. They chose which priest, which minister would get to do this by rolling of dice. It's a very spiritual practice. And he got, the lot fell to him that day, and he's to go and light this incense, the prayers of the people being lifted up to God. Lots of ministers can identify with this. Zechariah is old and tired. The day is supposed to be special, maybe it's like Advent, and he knew just what to do, but sometimes ministers in that situation, you can feel this in your work too, but for ministers this can be, well, it's supposed to be special, but I just have to do another thing. Oh right, I've got to do this other thing now, light these candles, do this thing. The people trust in Zechariah to lift their prayers up, but how can they, he must think, why are these people trusting in me when I'm not even sure my prayers are heard? It's them, right then, beside the altar, Gabriel. Zechariah is terrified. Even ministers don't really expect God to show up in church. They're terrified if it does happen. Gabriel senses Zechariah's fear and says, Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. And Zechariah responds by starting to explain to God, to Gabriel, this angel representing God, 
Zechariah starts to explain to the angel how things work on earth. Um, Elizabeth, a baby? Have you seen Elizabeth? She's old. I'm old. Gabriel cuts him off. It's fantastic. And he has these three astounding words. Stops him talking. Three words. I am Gabriel. And he continues. You can read it in the text. Luke 1. I've been sent by God to give you good news. I love that. Just... It is kind of like, do you know who I am? I'll tell you what. You're, here's what's going to happen. You're talking to an angel, and you want to explain to me how things work? So, because you didn't believe, I'll help. And I sometimes wonder in prayer, was this Gabriel's initiative? Like, how much independence did he have to complete this mission? It's like Clarence the angel in Wonderful Life or something. Um, is this Gabriel's idea, or did God give him, like, if, if A happens, then do this? Because Gabriel says, because you didn't believe, I'll help. You're not going to be able to speak for nine months until the child is born, until the child is named. It'll be about eight days after he's born. This space here is everything. This is the space for astonishment. And then the question for us, for you, what would it mean to know that space in your life? Gabriel visits Mary next. He calls her highly favored. We've just heard it in song. And she, upon hearing the news that she will have a child, says something that sounds similar to Zechariah. She says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. But the language there is, is slightly different, and the difference is important. Zechariah is explaining to Gabriel how this thing can't work. And Mary is saying, how could this be? But there is still space for astonishment with Mary. Gabriel answers her and explains to her, the Holy Spirit will come over you. And she humbles herself. This is not a belittling of self. Too many religious figures can act and talk to people, particularly women, as if they're supposed to belittle themselves. This is not what's happening with Mary. Mary's astonishment allows her to partner with what God is doing to enter in in astonishment. And her words display this because she says, you remember, let it be to me as you have said. This is not Mary being erased, her personality or identity being kind of snuffed out. This is Mary saying and understanding even as a child, basically, that the fullness of her identity will be found in the divine. Let it be to me as you have said. It speaks to us what it would mean for you to be fully alive in this life. Mary doesn't cease to be Mary. This astonishment, you can't just decide. Sometimes you have to be shut up. Zechariah has to be shut up. He's a wordless minister now. And you can imagine as he goes out to the people waiting, because the way it's supposed to go is the priest lights the incense, there's a couple of religious type things to do in there, other people aren't allowed in that holier place. And then he goes out to the people waiting outside and he says, you know, it's his team, your prayers have been heard, you know, you can go to work now, whatever it is. There's a script, but Zechariah can't talk. And so he starts 
flailing around. The people are troubled that he took as long to get out there. He's delayed. And then when he gets out there, he's trying to tell them. And they, they make sense of it and say, okay, I guess he's telling us that our prayers have been heard. You want me to assure you or Kim or ministers or others that your prayers have been heard. But the truth is, as we tell you your prayers are heard, and we believe this in the Holy Spirit, we also at times can identify with Zechariah unfulfilled longings, prayers that seem unanswered. It's in that space then that I say to you, to me, God hears our prayers. He's heard your prayer. Gabriel silences Zechariah as an invitation to astonishment. I don't think it's simply a punishment. In fact, in some ways, it's not a punishment at all. As the story continues, he goes home, and in the language of the Bible, he lays with his wife, and she conceives. I always like to say that I think old Elizabeth might have been more attracted to old Zechariah on that night because he couldn't talk. But the couple is visited by God. And their lives have to do with God, not just themselves. And the angel has already told Zechariah, you'll have a son, you're to name him John. You will have joy and gladness, but he will be a blessing to all. Any answered prayer in your life is always about more than just you. I would love you to be astonished at Christmas. Here's what we believe, that the one who is above all creation, the one in whom creation is held together, the one beyond time, the one who is perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one who is joy and life eternal, this one has taken on flesh and become like us. So that if you just look at your little nativity scene, and I'm picturing ours now, our house in the front entryway, this little plastic Jesus in this little scene. If you look at that child in the manger, you never again have to wonder what God thinks of us. He loves us. How could this be? This is astonishing. Karl Barth has said in speaking of pastors and teachers and theologians, Christian leaders, he said, if such people achieve the terrible feat of ceasing to be astonished, then they have nothing left to say. He says it actually would be better for them to find another occupation. It'd be better for them and for those who have to listen to them. Otherwise, it's terrible, terrible for those they lead to. You know what happens if pastors and teachers cease to be astonished? They start telling you what they know and what you need to know. They start issuing warnings, diatribes about how bad the world is. It's terribly boring stuff. But using power, you can coerce people. How things used to be better when more people believed. Really? Or do you have something to say to me? Spare me. But if you're astonished, well then you might be able to point towards the light. When we cease to be astonished, we come up with other ways to try to appeal to people. 
I call it recruitment by skateboard ramp. Gives you my era a little bit when I was a youth pastor. Look, we have this, and we have this, and we have this other thing. What would you like? Not saying it's all bad or wrong, but without astonishment, it doesn't really go anywhere. You can build a crowd. The most evangelical things that we can actually have to help ourselves and others see the good news, it's faith and astonishment. If you're a Christian leader and you cease to be astonished, I mean, maybe you could ask Gabriel to make you quiet for a little bit. It's not the end of the world. We can pray for this, you can pray for it, we can leave enough space. We can ask to be enlivened at the most basic of Christmas things, a light. You can see a Christmas light sometimes. And it can overwhelm you with light of the world. An image, a nativity scene, angel. To you, to me, to Zechariah, and to Elizabeth, and all the world, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah's call, in the end, is not about his religious duty. You see that? I mean, he was set apart as a priest. He's supposed to do things and make things happen, and maybe, you know, it's different then, but, you know, the more people, the better now, I guess. But his call is simply to trust that God has heard his prayer. Be with your wife. You'll have a child. Your child will do this incredible thing. Your child will bring down mountains and raise up valleys so that people can see the glory of the one who is to come. He didn't write a book. Not that we know anyway. His call was to trust that his prayer had been heard. And when he finally can speak, you can look it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 62 or something. 60 something. When Zechariah can finally speak, he writes a song. Both Mary and he write songs. There's two songs in, in these early verses in Luke. One is Mary's, and one is Zechariah's. His first words are to sing a song that he wrote. And these are some of the words. He says, blessed be God. He has visited and redeemed his people. It's not simply blessed be God because we have a son now, but he has visited and redeemed his people. And the angelic choir that will lead us to the peak of this story that started with Gabriel's visit the angelic choir will sing and will declare good news of great joy for all people. This good news is good news for all, even for those who don't believe it. Today, in the town of David, a savior, has been born. And if this is true, it remains the most astonishing thing of all ever. So for us, this isn't to set up a song, I don't know what the next song is. So for us, oh come, let us adore him. In Jesus' name.